0: her name is Chaz Kiss. The current single is Goliath. Uh, she's about to start a tour with her band. I believe they're gonna to be touring some key cities on the East Coast.
1: Grunge music, especially like from the DIY, especially like early Seattle stuff. It's like, it came from people who all they had was music and that was it. And that's personally how my whole life has been and other musicians out there too. And I just, I think that sometimes it can come across a little inauthentic, but I don't think there's any ill intent and I'm probably overthinking because I'm one of those kind of people. But <laughs> um, but yeah, that's well, some of my thoughts.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned Disney because I remember in the early 90s when Grunge hit in a big way. It only took a couple of years for these Disney girl bands mm. to start rocking as hard as Nirvana. <laughs> yeah. What's happening here? Yeah. You know, and also what was that um, Lindsay Lohan movie? Was it like um, Freaky Friday or one of those when Uh suddenly (laughs) they're all, they're all like grunge rocking out at the end. It's like, where did this come from?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think, you know, music and different genres speaks to different people for different reasons. Um, Like I said, for me as a musician, I kind of gravitate towards that kind of noisier sound because it's, it's less polished it's less it feels more like what is my normal i guess um but i think that people interpret things differently and that's that's one of the best parts about music is that you know someone who is living that experience can really relate to it but also someone who's living a completely different experience can relate to something and i don't know it's just it depends on the person and it's malleable and i like that
0: Well, on your single, Goliath, which has a lot of staying power, that's been out for a few months. And it seems like um, a lot of times, like when you're on a major label, if you your song doesn't hit within a few weeks, the label gives up on it and stops promoting. Yet for a lot of indie artists, there's like this slow burn, and sometimes it can take months or even a year, you know, for a song to catch on. Um, how has that been happening with Goliath?
1: Yeah, well, I think that, you know, in today's viral sensation kind of market that we have right now, um, definitely the indie scene is more like, hey, this song is not new to me, the artist, but it's new to you, the fan. So, yeah, sure, it may have come out almost a year ago, but it's new to you. And because it's not viral, you've never heard it before. (laughs) So I think that I think that it should be that way. I I like the more. slow burn kind of market rather than like a flash in the pan kind of thing. Um, I think I find, you know, just this year alone, there were three albums that I really, really loved that, like, you know, I found out came out in 2002, but they were new to me. So I I loved them and streamed them all year. Um, So I think that that's kind of more so what the indie market relies on rather than like, you know, having a TikTok go viral or something. (laughs)
0: Now, what were these 20-year-old albums you just discovered?
1: Ooh, well, I started listening to My Brightest Diamond in the past couple years, and I had heard her stuff before, but Bring Me the Workhorse is one of her albums, and I think it literally came out in 2002. Also, there's a Bright Eyes album that I really over-listened to this year. That was also from 2002. I want to say that one is... Uh, Lifted or The Story is in the Soil. Yeah, that's such a good album. That came out in 2002. I'm very, very into the, like, theatrical indie stuff, like Bright Eyes and, like, The Fray and stuff like that. And a lot of those albums came out in the early 2000s. Um, Big fan.
0: (laughs) What would it feel like 20 years from now when a young emerging artist approaches you and says, wow, I just discovered Goliath. It sounds so fresh and relevant. I can't believe it's 20 years old.
1: That's the goal, isn't it? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think that would be awesome. I think I personally with my, you know, dreams of success, I, I don't I don't really have like, you know, an exact date. I don't imagine anything specific. I just hope that it impacts people and if it happens 20 years from now to one person, I think that's that's a successful story. You know what I mean?
0: Mhm. And don't you think what makes a song enduring is the writing? You know, and it doesn't matter what genre yeah. it is or what the current musical trend is, if there's something at the heart of that songwriting it's going to last for generations
1: yeah definitely that's i'm i mean i'm living proof of that all all of my you know favorite favorite albums i mean like i said jeff buckley is one of my favorite artists of all time and you know he unfortunately passed away before i was even born so i you know but his writing still you know impacted me and my teenage years and um Yeah, I think that songwriting in itself has that kind of superpower to stay relevant to the human because of the emotions that like everybody kind of goes through.
0: Well, what inspired the song Goliath and what are the aspects of it that your fans most relate to?
1: Um, I wrote Goliath uh, when I was in a you know, very, like, long-term relationship with someone, and I felt like I really couldn't get out of the situation. Um, And so I wrote the song kind of as a, like, you know, empowering thing for me to have just for myself. I didn't even play it for anyone, or I, I think it was mostly just poetry to start out with, and it was just kind of a mantra that I kept saying to like remind myself that like you know someone's you know bark is stronger than their bite even is and that you know you can you can get through it and you know time will pass and things will get better um so that's that's why I wrote it and I think that my fans relate to it because you know everybody has a Goliath whether it's you know someone's boss or an ex or you know apparent in some cases and i think that you know it's important to remember that like you know you don't have to take you know the the bull stuff you know what i mean um Mm -hmm. i think that it's important to be reminded of that
0: Mm -hmm. well so many people do feel powerless nowadays against institutions big business government it just feels like so many things are out of our control. Do you do you think that the average, you know, single person without connections or you know, power and money and all these things, you know, do we have power against these these big organizations?
1: Um, yeah, I think there's definitely, you know, strength in numbers. Um, I found out recently that um if a piranha is in a in a tank with nothing else and you put I mean obviously I'm not okay, I'm obviously I'm not like an animal specialist, so don't try this at home. This is not like a you know, <laughs> don't put your hand in a tank with a piranha. But according to this like study that I, you know, saw or something, but someone put their hand in a tank with a piranha, just a single one, and it it didn't, you know, go biting the hand. Um, but when it was in a tank with other piranhas, they all went for the hand. And I think that, you know, there's definitely strength in numbers to take something down, even if you're like, you know, by comparison, a little fish to a giant hand, you know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. So I definitely think that there's, yeah, there's, there's hope for, for everybody.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of people who, they, they don't use the music, but I mean, it's almost like a, a song can give them permission to think, wow, I felt all alone. You know, I thought I was the only one who was feeling stuck or frustrated. And I think a, a good song and, and a sensitive singer, you know, it feels like a friend talking one-on-one to you saying, wow, you're not alone. And and it can give you courage to, to take a stand on something.
1: Yeah, definitely. I... I think that's how I, like, intake music 100% is, like, you know, Bright Eyes has a lot of, like, you know, really, really sad songs. And when, you know, Connor Overst is, like, you know, talking about it, it, it feels like he's talking to me. And I, I obviously he's not. But, like, he, you know, understands a certain part of, you know, that emotion. And I think that that's what makes songwriters so important is then you know after that you know you might have been feeling really sad you listen to a sad song or something and it makes you feel like you're not alone and then you start to feel better so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: what is some of the the more interesting responses you've had from your fans you know what's the thing either in goliath or another one of your songs that really has resonated with them
1: um I think that the thing I get the most feedback with Goliathon is the multi-octave jump that I do in the choruses. Um, I don't know how I did that. People always come up to me like, how do you, how do you do that? You have crazy like control, and I'm like I don't know how I do that. I'm not in like vocal lessons anymore. I took them for a bit, but I'm I'm not in them anymore. I I barely like warm up before my shows. Like I'm not really, you know, the best person to be doing a multi-octave jump in a song but um but that's definitely the thing i get the most feedback on with goliath um and it's really fun to do so Mm -hmm. so yeah
0: well it sounds like your shows are a lot of fun like when you see your video to goliath it it raises the bar thinking wow this is going to be energetic and fun you know along with the meaningfulness but it seems like you're really putting yourself out there with a promise of a really lively show
1: yeah, yeah, we put on we we put on quite a show. We just did a like a kind of a basement show thing in Albany, and it was the first time people were moshing to our songs, which was really cool. Um,
0: nice. And,
1: and yeah, it just it felt it felt really like that was kind of the space where that kind of song was meant to be played, mm-hmm. and um, and we did Goliath as an encore at that one, which was cool too
0: you know you've arrived when people start moshing at your concerts (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) well i don't know this is all about you but since you said moshing this is the one anecdote i have to bring up for people who know what moshing is because you mentioned grunge so i'll make it very quick back in the early 90s when grunge was at its peak in seattle i went to a show and um I won't say what band it is, but they were a pretty prominent Northwest grunge band at the time. And gigantic grunge pit, I mean, or a mosh pit. People are moshing like crazy, slamming into each other. You know, more slam dance than mosh.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And finally, they do this song that's the closest to a ballad that they have, you know, for a grunge <laughs> band. Right. Very sensitive song. People are still moshing. And, and the band stops and goes... What the hell are you doing? I said, you can't mosh to every song. (laughs) They could stop it. Stop moshing. Don't do it to this song. I just thought that was the funniest thing. It's always stuck with me.
1: That is funny. It definitely, it definitely is not, the ballad is definitely not the the place for a mosh. (laughs) Um, Idiot. But, so hopefully yeah.
0: hopefully, at some point you'll have a funny mosh story. If I ever talk to you again, I expect a really good mosh pit story.
1: You know what's funny? I do have a good mosh pit story. It's, All it's right, really... let's hear it. Okay, which is interesting because I'm playing at the venue that this happened at uh, Saturday, which is interesting, too. All right, so I'm setting the scene. I am six years old, and I'm with my dad at a, like a heavy metal show or something. Um, I was, I was very cool as a six year old. I, I liked, I liked all the screamo. I didn't think it was scary. I was just here for a good time. So, um, so we're at, we're at this concert and, uh, my dad's holding my hand and we're sitting, we're standing all the way in the back. Um, you know, because I'm six as a six year old is at this concert. So he's like, you know what? She's six. I don't need to hold her hand. She's like kind of a big girl. Like, I don't need to hold her hand. You know, we're all really far back. I can see her. It's fine, he lets go of my hand. The second he lets go of my hand, I ran beeline for the pit. And I'm six, so I'm (laughs) weaving through all these people. I'm like, what? Four feet, like less than four feet tall. So I'm weaving through all these people to the pit. And my dad, who's like six two, is like trying to figure out how, how to like swim through the crowd to get to me. And he finally reaches me right As I'm like in the outskirts of the pit, he lifts me up like Simba in The Lion King and takes me back (laughs) to the back. And he's like, why did you do that? And I said, it looked like they were having fun. And then I proceeded to tell him that I now understood why mom said that boys are dangerous. Uh, (laughs) So (laughs) that is my my MOSH story. And the venue that it happened at was at something called Launch Music Conference, which is uh, like an indie diy like kind of conference thing that all these bands and uh and label people go to to go to panels and see concerts and stuff and um and i'm playing there this weekend for the second time i think but the first time in a very long time and and it's it's gonna be really fun but it's at the same place so i'm sure i'm gonna be telling this story a couple times
0: (laughs) talk about coming full circle wow
1: yeah (laughs)
0: Well, I well, your dad was very lucky that uh once you're in the pit, they didn't like start body surfing you across the crowd. Yeah,
1: I know. Yeah, it could have gone a lot worse, but it was I think it ended up okay. I think people were like, Why is there a six-year-old in the pit?
0: Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but by the way, so I remember now the the Mosh Pit concert I went to from that story. It was the posies and gas huffers.
1: Ooh, interesting. <laughs>
0: And I can't remember if it's posies who said that or the gas huffers, but don't you think it's so cool that there's a band out there called gas Huffers? It's or, a good or I don't Is it plural or singular? I can never remember if is if is it gas huffer or gas huffers? but do you think now in you know, we're, we're so tiptoeing around anything that's potentially offensive? Do you think a brand new band could even call themselves gas Huffer now?
1: Ooh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, I think that it, on one hand, you know, I personally, I I consider myself uh, an empath, kind of. Like, I, I, I very much so go intentionally trying to not hurt people or offend anyone just because I don't want to make anybody upset. Um, and that's just how I have always been. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. It definitely... It definitely is a topic for debate, but thankfully they're already out there, so I don't think anybody <laughs> would would do it again. But maybe.
0: Well, do you think we're at a crossroads now? And and maybe I would say like it's it's kind of happening in stand up comedy. People are kind of saying, "Ooh, you know, should I say this joke? You know, are people gonna get it? Will they be offended? Do you see that creeping into even you know rock music where? rock has always been rebellious and in your face it's always meant to ruffle a few feathers do you think now that it's a little more cautious like well i kind of want to say this but i kind of have to pull it back a little bit
1: um well i think you know i don't i think that things that are perpetuating like harmful stereotypes and stuff like that i don't i think that there's probably a good reason that We're trying not to say things like that anymore and, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to become a more accepting society. Um, So I definitely think there are parts of it that are really important to, you know, remain kind as people. Um, But I think that in rock music specifically, um, maybe it's just my little circle of rock music, but I think the stuff that they're rebelling against is stuff that is not necessary I mean I guess maybe it's up for debate for some people but but I think that it's a different kind of thing like usually the stuff that they're rebelling against or fighting or the stuff that they're fighting for is like you know to to end suffering to end po- like you know big government or something like that you know what I mean to for the for the mm-hmm. people you know what I mean whereas I feel like stand-up comedians and like harmful stereotypes is a very different kind of thing that is actually a negative thing does that make sense Mm -hmm. i didn't explain (laughs) that
0: (laughs) yeah it's just sort of in the air now a certain awareness and it's not necessarily good or bad it's just sort of i think people are at this time thinking hmm just because we've been doing something one way doesn't mean we can't shift it right now
1: yeah yeah exactly and i think also there's like there's lots of ways to there's you know we have a very extensive and lots of languages on the planet and there's different ways to say things and i don't know i think that if you can you know lead with kindness in any way that that's the way that we should do things you know
0: mm-hmm. and not that it's anything new but so much of the rock and roll tradition has been very male driven you know <laughs> you know back to the rolling stones and You know and there's been you know such a a a presence of women in rock you know for the past 40 some years so it's nothing Mm -hmm. new but do you think part of it is now there's such a a diversity of voices now it's not just you know a adolescent male rebellion fueling rock there's just so many different voices out there showing that rock can be a vehicle for a much wider variety of voices.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, obviously it's amazing that there are a lot more women in the rock scene. Um, I think there needs to be more uh, women, women of color. Um, I think, you know, just more trans women, everything. I think there just needs to be a lot more voices going on in all the arts, especially, um, and making sure that everybody's stays safe too at the same time. Um, but I think as a woman specifically, it's you know nice to know, too that there are a lot more women in rock that don't have to like sexualize themselves if they don't want to, just for attention to you know feel like um to feel like they'll be respected if they have a lot of eyes. You know what I mean? like
0: mm-hmm. it's
1: it's nice to know now, you know, that I'm growing up in the industry too, that I, that people are starting, well, not starting, but people are taking women seriously as they should have the whole time. But
0: Mm -hmm. what's the biggest pressure you feel as an artist nowadays?
1: I think, you know, Taylor Swift talked about it once, I think on an interview, but, um, as as a woman, she said that she had to reinvent herself every seven years to maintain, you know, her status as in the industry, to maintain her fame. And then she said something like, when was the last time that Adam Levine even got a haircut? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But she had to like have different eras of her music and different, you know, stories and let's just like overachieving just to be respected just to be credited as you know a songwriter and you know businesswoman um and i think that's probably the biggest pressure that i feel obviously it's not the same as taylor swift but um but i am it'll be interest i'm interested to see how it will go if you know if the same thing continues where you know, even Haley Williams had to, you know, change her hair, you know, every like seven years or something. I was like, you know, I don't know. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. But I think that's one of the, one of the pressures that I feel is like, I don't really want to reinvent myself. I feel pretty good being myself.
0: Well, speaking of, um, you made a little transition from Amelia Rose to Chaz Kiss. How did that yeah. all come about?
1: Uh, well, so my my legal name is Amelia. um, And it's, it's a beautiful name. (laughs) Uh, It's nothing against it. Uh, It just feels like. It doesn't feel like what I sound like as a musician. It sounds a bit more like a country artist, Amelia Rose, I feel like or like some kind of folk thing. It doesn't really sound like someone who's, you know, upside down on stage trying to sing you know what I mean I don't know I so there was that and then I was trying to figure out what I could do instead and I went through lots and lots and lots and lots of names and I wanted to do something that kind of still honored like my family and my my grandpa's name was Charles and he was like an opera singer and he was really 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 talented and He is part of the reason I started singing and started getting involved in music. Um, But so his name was Charles and everyone in his life kind of called him Chaz, uh, which was kind of cool. And I always thought that that was really a cool name. And then so I did that to, you know, kind of honor him in that way. And then the Kiss last name of the stage name came from my grandma, her maiden name, was uh mitchelaus kiss so it ended in kiss and so i just kind of took my wow. grandpa's nickname and my grandma's maiden name end of it and put them together um to create a
0: oh what a nice tribute
1: yeah, I like yeah I that.
0: well <laughs> one nice thing about it is it's like Chaz and kiss together it's like the hard and the soft Seems like it gives you this free reign to express, you know, the two ends of the spectrum.
1: Yeah, I definitely love that it's kind of masculine and feminine, too. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think my style is very much a bit of both. Um, you know, oftentimes in, like, the Goliath video, there's a lot of, like, very hyper-feminine things. But, you know, on stage, sometimes I feel most comfortable in, like, big jeans and, like, big sneakers. Like, I don't know, I... I feel I feel very, you know, tomboy, but also hyper feminine at the same time. And I like that the name also represents that, too.
0: Mm-hmm. So for your fans that knew you as Amelia Rose, how do you get them used to the new name? And have they kind of gotten over the confusion and now they're they're all on board with Chaz Kiss?
1: Yeah, it's been it's it took a couple months to kind of be able to tell everybody um, and get everybody on the same page but um but it's been fine I think that you know they kind of understand too that for me it's nice to keep my like you know legal name you know a bit more private and just for like my family and friends I say I say all the time in my streams though that like if you knew me as Amelia you can still call me Amelia like you're considered friend slash family you know what I mean um but (laughs) I definitely think that it Feels, it somehow feels more normal to me to have like a different kind of stage persona. Um, and then also to have my like, you know, my family stuff separate.
0: Well, I've heard Beyonce talk that she has her alter ego, Sasha Fierce. You know, And she says when she's kind of in that mode, it's almost like it gives her permission to expose, you know, that fiercer. Side of herself? Do you find once you took on the name Chaz Kiss, did it change your music? Did it change your performance? And kind of almost give you that same permission to say, "Wow, you know, I I can express myself, you know, even more aggressively on stage or more this or that." Like, like, do you think you're holding back before you changed that name?
1: Now that you mention it, I definitely think so. I think that like. I used to perform just by myself too but even when I performed with my band under uh under the name Amelia I I don't know I definitely wasn't very interesting to watch on stage I don't think I just kind of would play um and now you know we're having people you know crouch down on the floor and then jump and then like all this stuff and I feel more confident I think because it is separate and because it it is kind of like you know a part of myself that is usually pretty locked off, you know?
0: Mhm. Now, I've I've seen some pictures of you with the band. Do you consider yourself a solo artist with a band? Do you consider chaz kiss is like both you as the solo artist and the name of the full band kind of like sade is sade but sade is also the band how does that work for you
1: i think it's a little bit of both i think that obviously it feels like me um when people refer to me as that um but i love my bandmates and I couldn't imagine playing with anybody else. And so they, and they feel the same way. Like they're very committed to me and my music. And so I think that they are also Chaz Kiss, um, like I am too, if that makes sense.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, do you consider yourself first and foremost a band person?
1: Yeah, I didn't like playing as a solo artist. I always felt awkward and that everyone was just looking at me and i I didn't really like that kind of like attention um but when when i'm in a band it's different it's you know i have people to work off of and kind of like play with while i'm up there and uh and talk to and tease and like i don't know it's just a lot more fun and i feel a lot more comfortable and not to mention that my bandmates are my two best friends and also roommates and now van mates, And so <laughs> we're all very close, which really helps too.
0: Now, for people who have never been in a band, there is a very close relationship. And probably the quickest way to get to know people is to travel with them in a small <laughs> band or van on a, a tour. What, what's the reality of just... You know even people you love the most in your life after spending 12 hours a day in a van on the road for seven weeks you get to know people pretty intimately
1: yeah well we're going on our first diy tour we're leaving in you know whenever this is over you know we're all packed and ready to go so i'm really looking forward to exploring you know the country with the two of them and uh, I think we'll get a little bit sick of each other, but that's okay. We, we've we been housemates for the past six months, so, you know, we're all comfortable enough to be like, all right, I need some time by myself, I'm going on a walk, and nobody would get offended. Like, we all would be like, okay, that's fine, do your thing, just be safe, you know? Um, so, I think that we're all respectful of each other's boundaries, and that's what makes us able to work together really well
0: so how do you handle who chooses uh the radio station when you're on the road
1: <laughs> uh we usually we make like a we put someone's phone on the aux and we just kind of pass around the phone until someone we end up with like a really long queue of songs and we just kind of listen to that and then when that runs out we start the process over <laughs>
0: and i bet after a while you'll just really uh like those passages when it's just silence in the car
1: yeah we've had those moments for sure after the show in albany it was a 2 hour ride from where we from where we lived at the time and um and the whole car ride was quiet cuz it was such a loud show that we all were like all right just just nothing please <laughs> like we're just going to listen to the road noise um, yeah but'll be more that. don't you
0: well don't you think you'll find if you're playing music you know every night at your shows there's just something about wanting to reset and and just you know feel the silence and recharge your batteries
1: I think immediately after shows yes um but most of the time during the day the three of us are all like constant music consumers um mm-hmm. like even when we lived at the at the house together like, one of, like, there's always music coming from each of us. Like, I'll be getting ready in my room, listening to music. David will be listening to music in his room. Jeremy will have one headphone in doing the dishes. Like, we're, like, constant music people. <laughs> so I think mm-hmm. that after shows specifically, it's nice to have the quiet. But other than that, we're we're pretty obsessed.
0: <laughs> nice. Well, you'll figure it out. But my, my one piece of advice when you hit the road is... Try not to eat junk food all day.
1: <laughs> yeah, that will that'll be a tough one. But hopefully hopefully, we'll manage. I think we're going to try to go grocery shopping and try to eat groceries like regular adults.
0: <laughs> that's good. Yeah. I think that's good because it'll be cheaper. Because if you're yeah. going to McDonald's, that's actually really expensive, those Big Macs nowadays.
1: Yeah, no, I, we're trying to save as much as we can. So... Grocery shopping is our first stop when we get Ex- we going.
0: Excellent. Well, well, that makes me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, we're gonna wrap up in a little bit, still have a few more things to talk about, but I uh, wanna make sure before then that people know where to find you online, either your website, where to see your videos, buy your music, uh, where are the best places to go?
1: Uh, well, I'm a live streamer, so you can find me on volume.com slash Chaz Kiss. That's C-H-A-Z, and then kiss like the band, or kiss like mwah. Um And on Instagram, at Chaz Kiss, Twitter, at Chaz Kiss. Um, I'm pretty active on both of those, but definitely to anybody out there listening to check out my live streams if you're interested.
0: Excellent. So another recent video you put out is called Nosedive. And I really liked that because it was a nice contrast to Goliath and really showed off really a whole different side of you, um, introspective. You know, to go from this almost technicolor, bright colors of Goliath to this soothing natural green of being out in the forest. Um, I was kind of surprised to see, you know, this 180 from what I was expecting after seeing Goliath. Uh, what what can you tell me about just the whole, what inspired Nosedive and what brought you out to nature?
1: I think contrasting to a different, you know, meaning than Goliath, Goliath being, you know, trying to fight against something and power and strength, you know, inner strength and stuff. I think Nosedive is, you know, a heartbroken piece. It's a piece of sincerity and I. I don't think it would have felt uh, authentic to the piece to, like, do something really big and extravagant for it. So um, that park is in my hometown and um, and I thought it would be really nice to film something there and film something in like, you know, overalls and a a tank top. And then also in this like kind of ghost like dress kind of representing like what, you know. What the feelings are feeling if you if if that makes sense and just something more like in my head. Um, But that's why the contrast is so drastic. Um, But I really liked filming it. My dad filmed most of it, uh, which was really cool too. Um, And yeah, it was just a really fun piece. I love nature. I love being outside. So that was really nice too. And it was good weather. So yeah, one of my favorites for sure.
0: And was there some, like, core thing that inspired the song or was it just an accumulation of a lot of experiences?
1: I I personally am one of those songwriters where I more often than not will write about something exactly how it happened <laughs> to me. Like, they're all about experiences. I went through word for word, literally just meant to be taken very literally um, or, you know, on... The opposite side of that is like, you know, I'll write songs about stuff I've never gone through. There's only a couple of those, though. Um, But Nosedive specifically, quite literally, I had a necklace that, you know, an ex gave me and I saw myself in it and I it didn't look like me. And then I started thinking, I was like, well, I don't I just don't look like myself. Like this whole relationship has kind of turned me upside down because I don't feel because I don't feel good in it, Um, you know. I'm just constantly being hurt by this person. And so the whole song of Nosedive is quite literally exactly what happened to me Mm -hmm. at a certain time, which is kind of cool uh, as well to kind of look back on it and be like, wow, I was really I was really hurt. And now I'm okay." Um, There's something to be said Mm -hmm. in that, too. Um,
0: Is writing about something like that cathartic? Does it help you heal and move on?
1: It definitely does. I have always used songwriting as a way to cope with everything going on around me or inside of me. And I, after writing Nosedive, um, I knew I wanted it to be like one of my next releases because I just wanted to have it out there. I wanted people to hear it. Um, and I, I'm glad that I'm glad that it all happened the way that it did. But it's definitely um definitely healing to write something even if it's a sad song uh to help you kind of get through it
0: mhm i think one thing people don't realize if they have never written a song that it's it's not so easy just to spill your guts and and to really put yourself out there i think we we always you know consume music with this buffer you know we let someone else expose their pain and emotions But when we're doing it ourselves, um, I, I think it creeps up on you. You think, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize how much emotion this would well up for me to talk about this in a song.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's why, you know, people use music like like therapy or something. I mean, that's how that's how I've always, you know, used music and and used songwriting as well.
0: Have you ever started writing a song and it just became too emotional and you had to put it aside?
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think of one of something in particular. Um let me just go through what I have. I definitely have had that happen. I uh, I just have over like 50 finished songs, so I can't put my finger on like which one's exactly. Um oh yeah, so I had to put down 7 uh I have this song it's unreleased but it's called Seven and it's about kind of seeing yourself you know when you were seven years old and you know kind of what happened to you and that kind of thing And I, it was the first time I really in my adult life had ever thought about my younger self like another person and I was like Mm -hmm. oh my god would she be proud of me and at that time I was in a really bad place I wasn't really taking care of myself and I was in a really bad relationship and just so many things that just were not good. And I was like, she would not be proud of me. I was like, she would really hate this. She would not like this. And that's, you know, part of what motivated me to, you know, get better and, you know, leave that person, get out of the situation and all this stuff. But I definitely wrote, you know, three stanzas of that. And I was like, oh my God. And then I didn't I didn't come back to it for like a year until I and then I finished it.
0: Well, do you think that to cope with difficult things in life, we we toughen ourselves up or numb ourselves up and to revisit that in a song, we kind of have to let that guard back down to remember everything and to feel it again. Do you ever find that?
1: Yeah, I, I think that, you know, thinking back on stuff that happened and trying to understand those emotions better when you listen to it, like, after, after it all happened. Um, it's, it's definitely something that happens, but I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't relive those, those memories per se, but definitely is like, you know, something to ponder on.
0: What's the happiest song you've ever written?
1: (laughs) Um, that's a good question. I just wrote a song recently, um, called my killer whale and uh it's about being in love with someone who's completely different than you and you kind of are jealous of them for being so different and like you know so confident and uh sure of themselves and and stuff like that and that song is is happy I'll, it's not like it's not about really the jealousy aspect of it but it's just like you know it's just more fun and just about kind of admiring someone and so that's a good one and it's a, it's fun to play too it's upbeat mm-hmm.
0: Well, isn't there a song on YouTube that's like one of the the most viewed videos of all time? I think it's like Baby Shark.
1: Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: so maybe if you do a video to Killer Whale, people will mistake it for Baby Shark, and you get a ton of hits on it.
1: That's a good point. We should consider that. That's a that's a good, maybe. We should market it to like, you know, that would be funny. That would be
0: really funny. Because <laughs> basically, parents just sit their kids down in front of YouTube yeah. like a babysitter and put right. Baby Shark on like constant loop for about four hours.
1: That is really funny. We <laughs> should consider it. We'll let you know.
0: <laughs> well, the, the, what I want to wrap up with is uh, talk about your upcoming EP with this amazing title, Dead Moths in My Sugar. Which, yeah. which is very visual. Like I can just picture that.
1: Well, it's happened, unfortunately. I um, I I have this kind of odd thing. I don't I don't really know what it is, but I, I I for a very long time, I had a lot of trouble with food, um, because I thought that there were bugs in the food, even if there weren't. Like I would see bugs in the food. And I'd have to, you know, cross reference it with like four other people before I even thought about eating it. And and it, it was really, really draining physically and mentally. And I, I couldn't figure out why. And so I um, I had to go to I had to go to therapy for it. And the therapist that I had at the time was like, well, if you think your food is being poisoned, do you think like the people around you are like poisonous? And I was like, what? Wait a second that is a good point. Like thinking that, like, I, I usually, I tend to think that people are not good off the bat. I tend to, you know, if I meet someone at a party and then after the party, I'm like, oh, they probably hated me. They probably didn't like me. Um, as well as just as many horrible situations I've had with people and that most young adults and everyone does, you know, in their life, but especially in the like coming of age time. And it's like, I, when I realized that I like you know, couldn't stop writing about it because it, you know, it was like someone had finally cracked the code as to why I was feeling the way I was feeling and why, you know, I was constantly just like nauseous and anxious and all this stuff. And, um, it's still something that I, I struggle with, but knowing where it was coming from was really eye opening. And so I wrote a lot of songs about, you know, about this, you know, thing that I was going through and, so that's where the title came from is that I I I was you know terrified of granulated sugar because all I would see was dead moths in the sugar.
0: Wow. That's pretty potent. Yeah. <laughs> so uh how many songs makes an EP nowadays? I I've I've actually seen some people put out like eight songs and call it an EP and I think No, that's an album. So, so first of all, how many songs uh, constitute an EP for you?
1: I think somewhere between five and eight, I think if it's more than eight. And if you call it an EP, that's pretty extensive, but eight is a definitely long EP. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think mine is going to be six or seven. I'm debating on the seventh track, but I think it's gonna be six or seven songs.
0: So I always wonder this. Why not just do a couple extra songs and do a whole album?
1: I think that the way that the the market is and you know everybody's got the attention span of a goldfish, I think that putting stuff out in smaller chunks is more digestible than putting out a big body of work as a, you know, unidentifiable artist. You know, if I was, you know, Adele, I could put out another album, but but um but if I And then at that point, you're just kind of wasting songs that you've spent, you know, years recording and producing and, you know, writing and, you know, literal life experiences, traumas, all this stuff on something that nobody's going to hear. So you want to kind of put, you know, put your all into every song and put all your marketing efforts into it as well. So I think that having a first EP is kind of like, you know, there's hype around that having a first album, there's hype around that. So... Putting out an EP, I think, makes more sense for me right now, but also Mm -hmm. I am not, I don't have any proof in the pudding, so we'll see.
0: (laughs) Well, do you also think that with this theme, you have got a strong theme, and if you've written seven songs and that fulfilled the theme, at a certain point you're just creating filler. Sometimes it is nicer just to stop when you fulfilled that promise.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that I, in this specific instance too, that I have so many songs that I want to put out. I want to make sure that each of them gets special attention. And I don't want to just like, you know, throw more songs in there that don't really fit the vibe that I'm, you know, explaining in, you know, interviews, let's say, and stuff like that. And then people are like, oh, that's kind of weird. And I'd rather just kind of get its own hype rather than be in all this, you know?
0: Do you remember that album by Alison Chains? It was called Jar of Flies.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Another grunge era classic. When I read "Dead Moths in My Sugar," it instantly made me think of that album cover.
1: Oh, you know, yeah. Honestly, we haven't we haven't shot the the album cover yet, but I. That definitely is a cool album. That's the one with the—it's like red, right?
0: Yeah, kind of reddish orange, and there's this little boy staring into this clear jar. jar. Yeah, yeah. Now, can I think? Well, now that I'm thinking about it, I want to say that maybe that was listed as an EP when it came out.
1: Huh? I will have to
0: look that up. See, now I'm intrigued (laughs) because maybe that was an EP because I think maybe there was only six songs eight at the most oh this is just gonna grate on me until i uh google it but
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but i kind of like that because that was such a landmark album and i think to do yeah. something landmark or memorable i think you have to go for a strong theme just a strong visual and and just kind of make everything associated with it the videos you know that'll be kind of like your dead moths in my sugar phase of your career
1: yeah definitely it'll be an era
0: <laughs> well what, what do you really hope to do you know by the end of 2022 you know when you're getting ready on new year's eve and looking back you know at this year what, what do you hope to have achieved
1: i i hope it was an adventure i hope that you know, I, I don't, I'm one of those people, I don't like giving myself like super strict um, goals. I, I, I kind of like more broad goals. I think they're more achievable usually if they're more broad and they're not like, you know, I really want to get a hundred thousand listeners. Cause then if I don't, then I'll be like disappointed. Um, so I like to be more broad with things. And I think that I hope it was an adventure and I hope that it was successful, whatever that means to me at that point um and that i had fun and that it was good memories
0: uh mark your calendar for dead moths in my sugar i don't know when it will arrive but i think it'll arrive when the time is right because we can't force art um i really appreciate you sharing all this Chaz, and i'm definitely gonna really look forward to your next work
1: awesome this has been so wonderful thank you so much for having me
0: All right, take care and do not eat too much junk food when you're on the road.
1: (laughs) I will try my very best.